Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner with you until 1240, taking you up to Cubs baseball. Joe Ostrowski off today. My buddy Mark Gonzalez, Cubs beat writer for the Tribune, in studio with me for another half hour. Ned Coletti coming up bottom of the hour. Rick Sutcliffe at 11 to talk 8888. He's always entertaining. Mark Zuckerman of Masson to talk Nationals at 1130. And Chris Getz, White Sox player development director at noon. Bruce Levine was weekly visit at 12.25. That highlight was courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. Well, it was Comcast Sportsnet then, probably, right? Four years ago, Javi Baez's first career hit. Extra innings, an extra inning opposite field home run at Colorado. Does that sound right, Gonzo? Absolutely right. And previous to that, had he struck out a few times in that game? I don't, I don't remember. I know he's like zero for four, or zero for five, or something like that. You got his. Bo- are you looking at the box, Eli? You're looking it up. Um, I just remember it going to extras, and then the opposite field homer, and guys jumping over the rail out of the dugout. Any reason he can't win MVP, NL MVP? I, I always look at the last few weeks, maybe the last month, see who really separates themselves. I remember in 1999. I had a vote. I was struggling between Piazza and Chipper Jones, and the late, great Leonard Coppett said, this will take care of itself. Just, just watch and see what happens. And sure enough, Chipper Jones went nuts against the Mets in six games. He was a difference maker. Yeah. Now, certainly you look over the whole body of work during the season, but... But if it's that close. Yes. Yeah, Baez, yes. Baez with three whiffs that night prior to the extra inning homer. Yeah, I had some of those. I had some of those votes that were really tough going down to the end. Cy Young or MVP or rookie. And uh, the one, I, the vote I remember the most was I had Bonds. What was the year Terry Pendleton won it? Was that 92? It was 90, 90 or 91, I believe. I had, uh, I had MVP that year, and Bonds had won MVP – in let's see here in 92 no he had won it in 90 okay so it was 19 it was not i'm sorry it was 1991 so he won it in 90 he won it again in 92 and 93 and in 1991 he finished second to terry pendleton with uh 10 first place votes pendleton had 12 and he lost by very close margin with an eight war to Pendleton six one. But I had I voted for Bonds. People really, I mean, if you thought they hated him later, 
They really hated him in 1991. And people voted against him because of that, because they didn't like him, which I always, which I, which I just hate. It's like Kurt Schilling. They hate Kurt Schilling, so they won't vote for him for the Hall of Fame. They'll vote for steroids, guys, but they don't like Kurt Schilling's politics, so they won't vote for him, which is crazy. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, at least, at least for me. But people voted against Bonds. I voted for Bonds, but it was tough going down to that. I remember it going down to the last week, and uh, people were just searching for a way to not, to not vote for Barry Bonds, a guy you covered in San Francisco quite a bit. High school too. That's right. You didn't cover you didn't cover uh, Dunstan in high school, did you? No, I was. I'm from California, not New York. I meant uh, his son. Because no. uh, I was okay. I was long gone, but I know some high school coaches that coached oh, against junior in high school. Um, yeah, that was an odd pick. Yes, Cubs pick. That was a weird. That was a weird Jim Hendry year. The Vanderbilt the Vanderbilt signing went a long way in helping Sean Dunstan Jr. get that bonus. Oh boy. Yeah, that was uh, well. That was the year they drafted Gretzky's kid as a publicity stunt. Dunstan's kid as a publicity stunt. Uh, what else was that? Uh, Dylan Maples. Dylan Maples year. Yeah, overslotted Dylan Maples. It was a weird year. That, But that was also, that wasn't Baez. I think it was. It was Baez because yes. it was their last year. Yes. They finally spent money in the draft. Anyway, back to Baez and his MVP chances. Um, I think it's him and Arenado right now. That's how I see it. And it's really close. I mean, if you look at... Basically, you could look across the board at all the different numbers, and pretty much everything is close. Really, everything is any way you want to slice it. Baez has a slight edge in war, a slight edge in offensive war. Uh, defensively, depending on what metric you want to look at, it's very— But if you watched games, then you know Arenado is a superb defender. So is Baez. Baez the much better base runner. Much more capable of making something happen on the basis. I think it's those two guys. Anybody else come to mind for you right now? Freddie Freeman's name services. I know there's a lot of support for Lorenzo Cain, even Matt Kemp, but that one wow. kind of puzzles me. So, yeah, Arenado, I mean, both these guys are deluxe fielders. And I think the, the only separator in my mind is Javi plays more dis- positions. He's been asked to, especially with Bryant out. Yeah. But Arenado's the best defensive third baseman in the league. So I I do like uh, and again you know we're a long way from home but and lock can happen as you pointed out but best player on the best team is usually a good place to start especially if he's got the numbers and Bias has a really good chance to be the best player on the best team in the league and they're going to the playoffs I don't think the Rockies will be although credit the Rockies with a nice run I'm not a believer are you no. No, that that expensive bullpen is not paying off. Yeah, GM spent a lot of money on that bullpen, didn't he? Yeah, what was he thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't use nine guys a game. Let's finish up the rotation really quick, and then we'll get to the Cubs bullpen. Uh, I, I love the stuff that Lester said about analytics. I find him to be so entertaining. Um, and I think, and I uh, look, I. I listen to Madden, and Madden has clearly had enough. He's clearly had enough of launch angle and trying to hit a home run every single pitch of every game. He's made that clear all year. It doesn't mean he doesn't like analytics. 
And I don't believe that Lester truly hates analytics. I think Lester, like a lot of us who actually watch games, hates analytics people who are zealots, the religious zealots who believe there is no, there is no other part of the game, that there is only analytics. I think analytics are great. I think analytics help us learn more about the game. They have taught us more about the game, but they are not the only thing in the game. And you listen to some, the way some people speak, and you know they're not watching the games. Some of them are at the games, and they're not watching the games. And there's more to the game than simply the numbers. I mean, the, ask Theo. He'll tell you. There's heart. There's chemistry. There's camaraderie. There is momentum. There is such a thing as being flat or not because they're humans. Humans play the game. And, I, I, you know, I can't speak to this. You know Lester much better than I do. But my guess is there's probably things in there that he looks at, and there might be things that he's actually interested in. But he pushes back because he's sick and tired of people saying that is the only way you can look at a game. Right. And he, he admits that he's benefited from it in some instances, but he doesn't like that stuff shoved down his throat, as do a lot of people do, and understandably so. And I remember Arietta reacting similarly after a game one day when he was told what his what his peripherals said right and and also you can factor in what jake said earlier about shifts after he had a tough start in san francisco where he thought some balls went for hits that if guys stayed in their normal spots would have been outs it's um that's been an interesting study arietta and gabe kapler together that's going to be fascinating to watch that play out <laughs> i think gabe kapler is great i mean i think he's entertaining and i think he's bright and i think he had to learn after a couple of days that this is now the big leagues and yeah that book sitting in front of you has a lot of great information in it but there's more there's more to the game and it i mean he got it he got quite an education those first few days of the season then <laughs> Miscommunication between the dugout and the bullpen. And anytime we have a miscommunication, that miscommunication is my responsibility. So I take full responsibility for it. Yeah, that's like the non-denial denial. <laughs> that's not really taking responsibility for it. No, I here's here's the simple answer. I screwed up. That's all. That's plain, all. Plain and simple and move yeah, on. That's all. And then nobody else is involved. It's, there's no other there's no other explanation needed. Um but Lester, how do you um how do you view this season as a whole, including the the one really awful start and how he's bounced back since? He's really surprised me. I th- I thought this was going to be a real rough year for him. But once again, and for all the years I've put in it, it goes to show you're always learning because spring training doesn't tell you, tell you much. He was working on a couple of specific things in spring training. Uh, the one thing to me that stood out was pitching inside a right. He's finding that right arm angle to where he can get the ball inside. And he was working on that quite a bit. His, That's the Andy Pettit, Tom Glavin pitch. And he was only throwing, sometimes I'd see him only 82, 83. Then sometimes you'd, he'd tease you with an 89. But all along, he knew what he was doing. And it paid <laughs> off. And I give the guy a lot of credit. I mean, it's funny because I always like watching the B games or the minor league games because I can get an up-close view of what a guy's working on. How stuff is, you know, pitching in, inside, outside to certain guys. And he knew what he was doing all along, and it translates, translates so well this season on the field. 
you have any uh really any idea on Darvish at this point? He picked up a baseball again on Friday the 13th of July. And I it, it's been my experience that if you're right, you can be back on a big league mound in a month. So you start the clock Friday the 13th. Well, we're uh you know, we're a week away now from a month. And he's not close to being on a big league mound. But yesterday, were you encouraged by what he said yesterday? Or have you learned at this point to take uh, really nothing at face value with Darvish? No, I think when he talked to us in Pittsburgh, and then based on what I heard yesterday, be very encouraged because prior to that time, I didn't sense any optimism, any encouragement. But the last two times, I could just tell in the tone of his voice, the eye contact we had not seen, and he was answering questions or he knew how to answer the questions before they were the question was finished being said. So I, I think this is a very positive stuff. He he feel he seems a lot more upbeat. He he understands English and speaks English, but he still works through a translator most of the time. And do you think sometimes there's something lost in translation? Because it, it, it's especially the one at Dodger Stadium, it seemed like Theo had a much different impression of what occurred that day than what was relayed to you guys in the in the dugout at Dodger Stadium. And there was another time too in St. Louis when he was describing pain, you know, pain, discomfort. Yeah. Uh, you know, it can be interpreted different ways. And when he says pain, you know, we think, oh, God, this is this is the end or whatever. But Yeah, what's pain to a pitcher? They feel yeah. pain every single day of their lives. So, every single day. So it's hard to measure the severity of the pain that he's feeling. So you like what you heard yesterday? The last two times he spoke, yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. that's good. There'd be, no bigger, there'd be no bigger addition in the big leagues in the second half than if you Darvish came back healthy for the Cubs. And was you Darvish again? Yes. If that if that happened. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen, but that would be enormous. I mean, you, you wouldn't blame a Cub fan for starting to think, okay, uh, Lester, Darvish, Hamels, Hendricks. Okay, now we, and now we can start talking about getting back to the World Series maybe, if those guys are all right. Now we are, I'm a long way from suggesting that is going to happen, right. but, but it could happen. Right. It could happen. The bullpen has been abused, and not because Joe has abused it. It's just the starting pitchers have been terrible, so the bullpen's been abused. What's your concern level for guys like Ciszek and 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 some of the other guys? I mean, you've you've seen it with Morrow, but Morrow, I think, is more a result of what Dave Roberts did to him last year, which is why I thought it was a bit of a risky signing. Thought Wade Davis was a risky signing too, and you saw it, you saw it with Chapman early in 2017. You've now seen it with Wade Davis this year to an extent and with Morrow. Uh, what, what's your hope f- uh, in terms of Morrow for the, rest of, uh, for the rest of this season? I would think maybe September 1st at this point. I think they've got to be extra cautious because he's had some injuries before, not just you know, going back to his Toronto and Padre days, but since he's been here. So that's a yellow flag right there. So they've got to be extra careful that when he comes back, they keep their fingers crossed that he's good through September and and their hopes October. Let's say he's not. Who's your closer? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Committee. Go by committee. Ciszek can do it. Kinsler can do it. Strobe's done it the last, what, 10 days? Right. 
Uh, <laughs> you may you might need two guys to pitch the ninth, depending on the matchups. So not a great place to be. Not ideal. Not, not ideal, I, but not Joe, ideal. Joe won that way in Tampa Bay. Yeah, he knows how to navigate through that. He also had David Price. Yes, <laughs> who could throw come in throwing ninety eight with sweeping breaking stuff, <laughs> and also pitch multiple innings. Um, do you uh, do you think that there's uh, any waiver considerations here that could be that could be impactful or is it is that does that seem unlikely to you it's going to be tough because they're going to pick last so far down they're so far down they'll look for a a speedster a guy that could steal a base late in a game um you went you 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 were covering the white Sox when they won the world series you know everyone over there very well were you surprised they finally pulled the plug on a on a a program that simply wasn't working over there the you know the the years where you go all in or the years where you you continually try to keep an aging team going and make something happen and add the Melky Cabreras and 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 you know those sorts of pieces were you surprised that Rickon was finally able to convince Jerry that this was and in Jerry's defense it wasn't as though he hadn't considered it or dismissed it out of hand in the past, but were you surprised that it finally happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I said it, and I wrote it after 2007 when they lost 90 games, need to retool it. They didn't do it, but to their credit, they won a division title the next year. They probably should have gone farther, but they... they Everybody was hurt on that 08 well, Remember that last week, they lost three straight at Minnesota, and then they had to win a, a you know... Uh, a makeup game against the Tigers. Had a win Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Monday. and then one sixty two. Yes. One sixty three. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So I mean they, they put themselves in that position. That wasn't but, but everyone was hurt. I mean Quentin is that the year Quentin uh, broke it Carlos Quentin broke his hand? Getting back to the MVP selection, I wouldn't commit. I had a vote that year. I wouldn't commit to Quentin. Somebody said, Oh, he's got to be the runaway. And this was August 12th or something like yeah. that. I said, Plenty, yeah. plenty of season to go. So, what happens? Long, long he misses the last month of the season. So, after that's breaking what... his own hand or wrist with it with a bat, right? Yeah, it was honestly. Can, no. Canerco got hurt um, the last, boy, I want to say it was like the last week of the season. He had a thumb and he ended. Remember, he came in to feel the ball and hurt his knee. So, he was in bad shape. Um, the rotation was on fumes. I remember Gavin Floyd pitching on that Monday. A makeup game, which was ultimately 162, or maybe it was Sunday, maybe pitched 162. 161. It was against Freddie Garcia. Yes. And and Gavin Floyd had nothing. I mean, he had nothing, but it was it was the most impressed I'd ever been with Gavin Floyd, with the way he fought through that day. Because Gavin wasn't the toughest guy in the world, at least. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you looked in Gavin's eyes, and it looked like he was looking right through you. Like you expect, he was looking for a spaceship to land. You never knew exactly what was going on there. But he... Um, he fought through that day. They just the, the rotation was on fumes. Danks was brilliant, but there was really very little else to you could count on there. A lot of injuries. It was a that was a fun season though. I thought that was Ozzy's best managing job. It, it was up there. I mean, he had dealt with a disgruntled Swisher down the stretch. Ugh. Orlando Cabrera had a bat lead off for like the second half of the season. Uh, they they at times they had to go with a four man rotation because of just lack of reliability on, on some. Pitchers' parts, you know, Clayton Richard was was a starter for a while, did very well. Javi Vasquez, they didn't get much mileage out of. Oh it was, 
It was a juggling act, but yeah, Ozzy and his staff did a pretty good job. Yeah, so when this finally happened, did you were you surprised that they were willing to do this? I think the Cubs' success made it easier for them, but certainly I think what Rick and the guys have done, they've, they've done a pretty good job of targeting the right guys, uh, not moving big-ticket guys like Sale until they got the volume and the quality. Do you like, um, in general, and obviously, and I, I talked about this uh, before you came on, we talked about young pitchers and what they go through and how unpredictable they are and how from literally from start to start you don't know which guy you're getting, and that is normal, and is it is unsettling for White Sox fans, but it is normal for young pitchers. In general, though, as you look at the volume that they have collected, do you like the program? Do you like the White Sox program? I liked it the last two days, just based on what I saw Giolito, because I watched a lot of that game. He seemed very much in rhythm. And, you know, he's had his speed bumps, but it seemed like he's he's got it there. He's just got to repeat it more often. And, and Rodon with a slider, I mean, he's got a chance. But getting back to Dylan Cease, he's, yeah. to me, he's the key to that trade. Yeah. And, and he's he starting had, to advance now. Yeah, he not obviously dominated at high A, now seven starts at double A, absolutely dominant. I mean, last night, allowed one base runner, and it was a deflected shot off somebody's glove. That's the only base runner you allowed. So you know me too well, so you're going to know the answer to this already. <laughs> but I'm going to read you uh, some stats of a guy uh, in his first 32 career starts. He was 8-18 eight and 18 with a 559 ERA and a whip of 166. Uh, Giolito, in his first 33 career starts, 10-12, and 12, 519 ERA and a whip of 139. So better numbers across the board than this other guy. You know who the other guy is? Maddox? Mm-hmm. Of course. And the point being that we've seen, I mean, you and I have been around this game a long time. We've seen a lot of young pitchers struggle. And some of them are bad, and they will always be bad. And some of them are bad and they learn how to pitch. And some of them have great stuff and never figure it out. Some of them have mediocre stuff and figure it out. I remember Jamie Moyer in 1992. He was the the first cut by Larry Himes in spring training. He didn't even let him pitch in a game. The day before the game started, he cut him and offered him a job in the organization as a, as a coach. And I don't know how many did he, he went on to win – a hundred or two hundred games after that in the in the big <laughs> leagues, um, and that was you know it, it, he was probably thirty years old already at that point. But the point is, we we've seen this, and so it's it's hard to predict. But as you look at the White Sox, the guys they've collected, the the direction they're going, and you also know you also know, know Rick Hahn and and Kenny and Jerry. Um, you feel good about what the Sox are doing. Wow. I think it all sorted itself out. I know there's a lot of hype over there. Some of it I understand quite a bit. There's also some growing pains, and we've seen it with Moncada. Uh, I know there's a big debate over the, the, the called third strikes on him. I mean, Tadahito Aguchi had it worse than him. I mean, Aguchi got stuck more with called third strikes than any guy I've seen over there, and nobody mentions that. I guess it's because Moncada, high-profile guy, comes over here and everybody wants him to do well. You see the talent, but he's had some speed bumps. So that's that's something that some of the zealots point to. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, we'll have to see what happens when they, when they get here. But I certainly think the arms, uh, 
really bode well for their future, but you got to do it on here. And you see what, what Giolito has done. That's encouraging that he's had some struggles, but he's, he's been able to correct a lot of them. Gods, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for inviting me. It's always fun talking to you. I love seeing you at the ballpark. I love uh, reminiscing uh, about things we have seen over the years, which ultimately we always see again. <laughs> except, they- except trying to get a, a taxi out of Candlestick Park at midnight. <laughs> How many times did you, uh, did you have to drive me back downtown? I finally started staying out by the airport because I just it just – Got to be so tiring trying to get out of candlestick late at night. Yeah. And then sometimes, like the Montreal riders, I drive them back to the airport because that was the quickest way they could get a taxi into town. So you go, t- you know, five ten minutes south to go thirty minutes north. That was a different time. That's when uh, that's when guys looked out for each other, right? Yeah, guys. Nobody ever left anybody standing. No man left behind. Gods, it was a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. All right. Mark Gonzalez, Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Tribune. Coming up next, Ned Coletti right here on Hit and Run on the Score. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Campland RV. It's Campland RV's annual three-hour super sale. Visit the lot Sunday, that's today, from noon to 3 for huge savings on all RVs. Special preview starts at 10 a.m. Campland RV, RV buying made easy. Right off I-94 in Burns Harbor, Indiana, welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner with you until 1245. Joe Ostrowski off today. And right now, it's time to go out to the Score Hotline where we're joined by Ned Coletti, the former L.A. Dodgers general manager, now an analyst on the Dodgers Network. He also wrote a book called The Big Chair. He's also teaching at Pepperdine. He also helps old ladies across the street. He's always busy. He's always got something going. You can follow him on Twitter at Real Ned Coletti. Good morning, Ned. How is Italy, my friend? Oh, my. Good place to start. It was the best trip I've ever been on. Um, the mainland, Sicily, where my grandfather was from before he came to beautiful Chicago, and then up to Rome. Um, trip of a lifetime. Thank you. Wow. Um, well, I knew you'd love that. I mean, uh, you've always talked about getting back there, seeing it. I'm glad you got a chance to do that. Uh, I don't know how you you mixed it in with everything else you got going. Well, school's off, and I asked for a couple days off before the All-Star break, and they were, A, kind enough to give me that, and then um, they were very kind, and then they were, uh, there's a reason for it since they worked me about 16 straight days as soon as I got back, so... (laughs) You're not was... Ned Coletti, damn it. You shouldn't have to beg for days off. Uh, I wondered why I didn't have to beg, and then I figured out why when I saw my name listed for the, the, until like yesterday from the 19th of July. So anyway. It's like the old days. It's you all see, good. It's just like it's the old good. days. Life has never been better. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, all right, let's talk about the 2018 Los Angeles Dodgers. Where are they right now in terms of – all the injuries that they've gone through this year, where is the rotation? Uh, where is the offense? Uh, how are you feeling about this team? Um, I feel most nights that of the NL West clubs, they may be the one that can run away. I don't think Colorado's consistent enough. Arizona, perhaps. And then, uh, you know, last night happens, 14 nothing, they get beat. And yeah. then uh, Sunday, last Sunday happens, they get uh, have a no-hitter thrown against them. A uh, young pitcher in Atlanta until two outs and two strikes in the top of the ninth. But I know that offense kind of comes and goes. I think the um, 
They, I think they are the best team in the National League. I, I, I don't doubt that. I, I think they are the best. Rotation is almost back complete. You've got uh, Hunjin Ryu that is on the sidelines. Uh, he's going to start to rehab his starts now. You've got Ross Stripling, who went on the deal for a minute. He'll be back uh, soon, whether he goes to the pen or whether he goes back into the rotation. We'll see. I think by October he'll be in the pen, along with Kenta Maeda, um, off the rotation into the pen. But I do think that this team is, uh, especially offensively, it's almost an American League club between the bench and the one through eight, especially with Dozier and Machado, probably the two top hitters that were traded last couple of weeks of July, both ended up in the same team. It's uh, from from afar, you watch the injuries, and there have been times this year where I, I confess, I'm guilty of thinking to myself, and I've probably said it out loud and on the air, I just don't know if it's going to happen for the Dodgers this year. You see teams, and I covered them, you, uh, you were GM of some or, or worked for some, where the injuries start at the beginning of the year, and they just never stop, and it just never ends. It's just one of those years. And it's felt like that to me with the Dodgers now, but you seem to think that they're coming out of that. Well, I think that you got Hill, Wood, Kershaw's pitch much better. you got those three, and you got Bueller uh, right there. And, and that's, that's a pretty good top four. It doesn't even can include Maeda, who's um, – Pitched very, very well, and pitched great again last night, even in that loss. Of yeah, he was, ter- innings. he was terrific. So you've got you've got your five guys there. And the Kid Bueller is, is, is kind of been um, – they, they didn't want to push him too far with the innings. But his stuff, and we all, we all seen different pitchers' stuff, his stuff is really, truly October stuff. He's one of those guys that in October could throw a one-hitter for seven innings. Live fastball up in his own, live fastball down in his own, great curveball, great slider, great aptitude. Young kid, but he's got, he may have next to Clayton the second best stuff on the club when you come to pure power and command the month of October. I think he's got the purest stuff. So you've got those four. You only need four in the postseason. And then you've also got Maeda, who pitched great in the bullpen and Stripling, who's pitched great out of bullpen, you can move them to the bullpen <clears throat> at that stage. Everybody's had injuries. We've lost two straight games in Houston. They haven't. They don't play Correa or Altuve. You're talking about two of the best offensive players. They're two best players, really. And and they're still almost 30 games over, I think, and playing great. So everybody's got injury. I think the Dodgers have, have made it through almost every injury. And uh, from time to time, just haven't been able to play great. And from time to time, early in the year, we're, we're getting beat a lot, as most teams, as you saw the Cubs and uh, other people saw the Indians in 217 after the World Series, weren't quite the same team until you got uh, to June. Yeah. It, you, uh, you believe that the Dodgers ultimately have the most talent in the National League or will, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, ultimately show that they're the best team in the National League. As you look at the Cubs, and obviously it's no secret their rotation has had problems from start to finish this year. And uh, it appears as, a, as though the last week it may be starting to correct itself, but that remains to be seen. Is that the reason you would you would select the Dodgers over the Cubs at this point? Yeah, I think so. Um, offensively, I think the two teams match up pretty well. Uh, defensively match up pretty well. I, I 
you know, the Cubs rotation, and I, I see it sporadically. I don't see it nearly as much as you do. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen it near where near what I saw it back in 2016. Different people, certainly, but I just haven't seen the same reliability at a very high level yeah. that I saw back then. Now that may that can come. You still got seven weeks before you get to October. But I, as of today, I don't I don't know any team that can beat the Dodgers. And as you look at uh, the Dodgers and the Cubs, is there really anybody else in that conversation? Um, let me think about that for a second. Not not out of the East. I think they they will. One team comes out of that, obviously, and uh, will probably get beat early because of the youth. I think you've got, um, you know, Milwaukee's pretty good. Uh, Arizona's pretty good. I think they're the other two teams that that play. Uh, in the postseason, I think they're capable. I don't know that they have the depth. I know that only of these teams we talk about, only Chicago and L.A. have the experienced depth of October. They're the only two. Everybody else can have somebody that may have played or you know, acquired somebody that played deep into it one year. But when you look at the teams that expected to be part of their schedule and prepare thus, those are the two. You could say Washington, but they're kind of on the fringe right now. And uh, St. Louis, they're pretty much out right now. And then you got Colorado, which is more like Arizona and Milwaukee, where they're they get there once in a while, typically for a game. You know, and yeah. they that's it. So you got the two most experienced teams. You have the two LCS teams back to back years. I think uh, you know those are the two teams to beat. And I think right now LA's rotation is. A little bit more predictable on the good end than Chicago's. What's your confidence level in Kershaw's health? Well, that's like for me, that's like a two-sided question. Um, watching him pitch the last few starts, he looks as good as he's looked in the last two years. Um, knowing that he's had different things go wrong, kind of out of the blue, uh, is the second part of that answer. Is you, you never know. Do I like how he's throwing now? Do I think that if he throws like this the rest of the year, that if they get to October, he'll he'll be a you know top of the rotation type guy? Yes. Will he get hurt between now and then? Uh, there's been a handful of them, so you can't say without a doubt. No, you have to wait and see and and see how he comes out of every start. But his starts the last three have been good. He had one two starts ago that was probably the best start that he's had all year. And you have to go back sometime in, in 17 to find one as good, as crisp, sharp, and, and as much velocity. Wow, stuff and velocity. Yep. Wow. Well, that's it's a great time for the Dodgers. He is former Dodgers GM Ned Coletti, now working for the Dodgers Network. He teaches at Pepperdine. He writes books. He's, uh, well, he's Follows got... Follows the Blackhawks. You're still a huge Hawks fan. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. It's impressive. I'm a little I, worried this year, but still a huge Hawks fan. I knew you'd sneak in some hockey talk, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to get to it off the air because yes. it's, it's it's a longer conversation. Oh, we can wait till fall or winter. Oh, uh, we can wait till the playoffs. I'll see you during the playoffs, and we'll discuss it there then. You go. And you can and you can complain, and I'll uh, <laughs> explain to you what's happening. Funny how the worlds have changed, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I'm told John McDonough and Jay Blunk. Hey, I'm a season ticket holder now. You know what's up with this? You know, <laughs> it is a different world we're living in 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 so many ways. Yes, 
Yeah. Um, imagine you're Mike Rizzo right now, and I know you know Riz, and uh, you've probably known him for a long time. I go back with him to the days when he was an area scout yeah. for, the, for the White Sox. Um, what's what's going through his mind right now? Oh yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> probably a lot of frustration. You know, you have uh, a new manager trying to learn his way, former Cub coach and and player, and Davey. Um, you got Bryce, free agent to be, you know, hitting hitting two twenty, two fifteen, getting agitated about who's catching. Um, <laughs> you got Scherzer and, and Strasburg chirping at each other, and you're five six games out. And you got not just five, six games out of one spot. You're five, six games out of two spots. And uh, I talked to him. Actually, I sent him some pictures from Italy because it, you know, we've talked about our Italian heritage. And I and he sent me a couple notes back how beautiful it was. And then he says, "Yeah, and I'm sitting here worried about whether or not we're going to get a hit off." <laughs> and he mentioned a guy that was like a three A pitcher pitching in the big leagues at night. <laughs> So he's going through a tough time. You know, you can't predict. Sports is unpredictable. That's why people love it. But it's it's been a very very tough year for him. Uh, You know, he had huge expectation. You have huge expectation of of getting into the postseason, winning games in the postseason, and perhaps finding yourself in a fall classic. And now uh, you know you're trying to get out of third place. So. very frustrating year, and it happens. And now he's going to have a different team next year with Bryce, unless Bryce does happen to come back. But then when Bryce, wherever Bryce goes, what, what, who are you getting? You getting a two twenty hitter, great power, knows how to walk. Are you getting a, you getting the best player in the game because you're going to probably pay him as if he is the best player in the game. Who are you getting? You know, I mean that's that's what this season is kind of laid out in my mind as to a great young free agent player, but. If he's you know he's capable of hitting two twenty apparently, GMs make a lot of money. They also don't sleep at night ever. No, um, they don't ever make as much money as the players. That ain't ever happened. No, but uh, yeah, the player that doesn't play that's making five million is just kind of going through the motions. You know, that Ooh. extra guy you hit about a hundred at bats. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of guy. <laughs> that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, handicap uh, the Bryce Harper situation for me, given your knowledge of of Washington ownership, the general manager, and Scott Boris, not to mention a player who uh, obviously hasn't made any sort of decision yet. Well, I um, I think Scott's been waiting for this year. This is just all observation, of course. Scott has been waiting for this year for quite a while, probably before Bryce got to his first big league game. Scott's been circling this type of situation um, to make it historically large. Scott's also got a guy named Chris Bryant coming up. I think you guys know him. Mm-hmm. He's also got Corey Seager. We know him. He's also got Cody Bellinger. We know him and a host of others. So in the negotiation world, this is a big year because this is the first of this group. So the higher he can keep Mr. Harper, then Mr. Bryant will kind of follow suit and maybe get higher than Harper, depending on what he does in the next year. Seager, same thing. So it's a big stair-step season, off-season for Scott, uh, also for Bryce, obviously. I don't know, you know, the learners in Washington, um, they've probably done more business with Scott as an ownership group than any any group in baseball, so there is relationship there. A lot of their players are 
represented by Scott, uh, Mike and Scott, like Scott and I, go way back. There's a chance he goes back there. I, I think that it's gonna it's gonna take a negotiation and not another opinion of mine, and it's not gonna be a clear cut. Um, yeah, hey, we want your guy, and we'll pay him four hundred million dollars a year. We'll give him ten times forty. You know, I don't know that that's just happening. I think it'll take time to to get to a number that Scott's going to feel comfortable with. I don't think it'll be as easy as it was a year ago. And uh, I think it'll just be curious to watch this one take place. Plus, you got Mr. Machado running around out there, too, who's a great player. Getting to see him every day has been uh, uh, quite the treat. Offense, defense, base running, complete. 26 years old, complete player. Those you're getting to see a little bit more often out here, too, a second baseman. Good power hitting second baseman. Uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, kind of a smoother swing than Jeff Kent, but uh, a lot like Jeff Kent, who I had a ton of respect for. Jeff Kent, 30 home runs a year, 100 RBIs, many years. Uh, ought to be in the Hall of Fame, or at least getting some votes more than he's getting. I vote for him. Yeah, I don't know why people don't, because the guy was play that position and do that much offensively and have a guy ahead of you and Bonds that was cleaning the bases most of the time ahead of you and you still had 100-plus stakes. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure. I think Washington will be in it most likely and take a look and see what they can do. And uh, certainly Scott's hoping Washington's in it and Scott's probably hoping there's a lot of other teams in it. But you're talking about an outfielder. You're not talking about a, a shortstop or a third baseman. You are talking about an outfielder, and there are a few outfielders, including one in Chicago making 184, I think, Jason. So not sure they're going to have two like that. What about uh, the chances of Machado staying in L.A.? I mean, you have some really, really good infielders on that side of the infield. Uh, there's always ways you can move guys around. This is one spectacular baseball player. Think there's any chance the Dodgers will will make a run at him, and what does that mean for their luxury tax? Well, I think that they have been very, very diligent this year, staying under the luxury tax and making sure that they could lower that percentage coming into the two eighteen nineteen off season. And I think you know they've been able to do that, uh, which has got a huge savings to it. You're not talking about a, a poor franchise or a franchise that doesn't uh, have a a strong payroll, but you're talking about one that's wise enough to know that that tax you're paying, where you're really not getting anything for it, is something you got to kind of manage. I think there's a chance. I do think he causes um, movement inside that infield. You've got Seager coming back. Seager could probably play third base. Some talk when he was first coming up of moving him there. But you've got Justin Turner signed for a few more years at a high number. And Justin Turner, I don't think, is going to be able to play second base as well as he plays third. And he's played a minute or two at first, but I don't think he's a first baseman. He's a first baseman. You've got Max Muncy. You can move to the outfield. He's had an interesting year with the 25, 24, 25 home runs out of nowhere. And Bellinger. But I do think that it may be easier a year from now when there may be another third baseman on the market to to do the the left side of the infield free agent then. I think then JT may be more amenable to becoming uh, somebody who plays on the right side, probably first base, a little more amenable. Perhaps even being in a season will tell us if he's 
120-game extra guy if he can play all over the infield and, and give guys days off. But uh, I think it'd be a little tough right now. I mean, they may do it. You know, you see a lot of different things going on in baseball you never saw before. See, you know, Milwaukee with all those infielders playing guys in positions they never played before. <laughs> yep. So, you know, there's there's that different philosophy that's starting to to take root. So I think there's a possibility. But uh, there's also another big third baseman that 12 months from now we'll be talking about that may be the best player in the game, uh, or league anyway. Uh, if he's still on sign, that, that conversation will be taking place. It almost almost rather have that situation in some in some ways because of the timing of it. And timing in sports is always overlooked, especially by the fan base. They just want the player today, but sometimes you got to map out your roster year two, three, four years out, and not knowing what you could get if players end up signing with the team they're with. They're not coming out, but trying to read the tea leaves and put your team together the best possible way you can so you don't get somebody early it doesn't make your that makes your team better, but doesn't make your team as great as being patient and waiting another year and having some more chips fall in a more convenient place. Uh, that's how a GM looks at it, not necessarily how the fan base looks at it. Right. So, from a timing standpoint, you mean as the Dodgers organization looking at Arenado a year from now, if he's still unsigned, it could be a much could be better timing for the organization than looking at Machado now. There's uh, at least again. This is my opinion. Yeah, there's, I understand. Yeah, there's uh, you know, there's some sense. There's more sense to that, I think, than signing Manny this year and then finding out what to do with with uh, right with Justin Turner, okay. who's really probably the most popular player on this team. Not that that means everything, but it means something. And last year, this guy was a co MVP of the NLCS, and it wasn't like a surprise trophy. I mean, he he was you know that good all year. Yeah. So it's a little bit more difficult in this in the next few months to fit, to see clearly to how this matches up, unless you're going to make a trade with somebody. But I don't know the Arenado thing. You know, you brought his name up. That's that's a little bit different dynamic. You've also got Matt Machado that is intimated. You know, he's an East Coast guy. He's from Florida. Uh, you got the Phillies supposedly going to be really strong on him. Uh, he may not come out here either. He may just use L.A. as, uh, as kind of the, as the stocking horse, so to speak, to to raise a number. Yeah, and and desire to be back back there. Meanwhile, the other kid you mentioned, you know, he's from a little bit south of L.A. and would be a huge star in this city. Ooh. I mean, talking about star power. Ooh. This man would be a huge star. What a player! In city. What oh. a what a great. You ever seen a better defensive third baseman? No. I've never seen anybody play third as well. I've never seen anybody with the run production. And also, the um, I mean, he has a passion. He's a, he's a bigger power hitter than Ronnie Santo. He's a great defender, like Ron Santo was. Kind of even there. But a better base runner than Ronnie. But he and also Ronnie, was, Ronnie, Ronnie was carrying a house on his back. Well, I'm being kind here years later. It was Yeah, it wasn't the piano that that was weighing him down is when he stopped to play it halfway between third and home. But the, <laughs> but that, that Arenado has also got Ron's passion. Ronnie played with tremendous passion day in, day out. He announced with great passion day in, day out. Yes, yes he did. This kid plays the same way. This kid is fierce with what he does. I, I love the kid. Is he, and he's a young free agent. He's, he'll be 
still be in his 20s for a decent part of another deal. But we'll see if if Colorado can can keep him or not. You know, the kid talks all the time when he's here. He wants to win. Yeah. So this may be on his radar too, going down the road. Oof! Frightening thought. Adding Nolan Arenado a year. Well, from maybe now. add Dozier yeah. this winter too. Yeah. They're seeing a lot of good things out of him. No, uh, no clear cut second baseman going forward. Four sides traded. Chase Utley's taking it to the house when the year's over. You know. Got some guys that can play it, but you don't have a guy that can play that's going to hit 35 jacks and drive in 100 and score 100. Yep. And win a gold glove once in a while. Wow. Impressive stuff. Ned, thank you so much for your time. You've been generous with your time, and uh, I appreciate it. Our listeners appreciate it. I am sure yeah, we're, I'm sure we're going to uh, speak come playoff time. We should have a forum during the uh, – LCS, if they both make it, we'll do it every day. We'll have a big forum. We'll dissect pitch to pitch. Uh, only kidding. Call me once. <laughs> going to call you every day, and on the days that we're not on the air, I'm just going to call you anyway. Yeah, let's save it. Save it for one one Sunday a week. <laughs> Ned, thank All you. Right, See ya. All the best. Same to you. Ned Coletti, former Dodgers GM, an old friend and a good guy, and... Uh, I bet he knows the difference between Giolito, Gelato, and Galato would be my guess. He knows all of those answers. Coming up next on Hit and Run, I will speak to Rick Sutcliffe about the first night game on 8888 here on Hit and Run on the Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.